Good morning. Uh, Go ahead and turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. Andrew pretty much wrapped up our series in Acts last week, although I think um, Joel is going to preach next week uh, on Acts 22. But today we're going to take a little break here and we're going to look at Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 5, and a bunch of other passages. Um, We're going to talk about something I think that's very important for us to talk about today. So, uh, read along with me, Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, it's hard for us to imagine that uh, we are to rejoice in our sufferings. Um. Some days that just doesn't make any sense to us, yet you call us to in different ways. So as we look at this difficult topic this morning, we we pray that you open our eyes to the scriptures, to the truth about you, the truth about the world that we live in, about ourselves, but also obviously the truth of the gospel that brings us hope and healing. And we pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Last week was amazing. I don't know if you were here. I think many of you were here because we we crammed over 400 of you in this sanctuary. And uh, what was really fun was to see a lot of people come back that we hadn't seen for a long time. And I went over and uh, saw Brett Ryden, who I don't think I've seen in in, uh, two years, and gave him a hug. And then I went to shake his boy's hands. And they're like, no, no, no. And they gave me a hug, right? And it was like this, just this, almost this rejoicing of coming back together and seeing people that we hadn't seen for a long time. And I know this is a controversial statement, but I'm going to say it anyway. I think the pandemic is basically over. I know, I know. Well, okay, we can laugh, we can clap, right? We're pretty sure, right? Um, But the truth is it still lingers a little bit. Uh, And I I think that it's had accumulated effects in our lives. Emotionally, physically, mentally, and spiritually, we've seen the effects. And the past two years have been devastating for some families, unfortunately, And I think, though, that with or without the pandemic, everyone is experiencing some kind of pain and suffering on some level. That's the hard part about life. It might be a broken arm or a broken relationship. It might be a chronic sickness or a death in the family. It might be a a personal failure that's consequently thrown your family into turmoil. It might be a miscarriage or a stubborn mental illness that just won't go away. Suffering is frustrating, isn't it? 
Sometimes we suffer because of our own actions. Sometimes we suffer because of the actions of others. Sometimes we just don't understand why suffering is inflicted upon us. It's frustrating at times. And so today, I, I, I want you to know that I don't have all the answers to the behind the scenes of suffering, okay? There is a bit of a mystery that we have to live with, right? There's only so much that God has allowed us to know in the midst of it. And I can't remember if Andrew used this illustration last week or not because I'm all discombobulated. But it's like when you take your, your, your toddler to the doctor to get a shot, to get a vaccine. And the toddler's sitting there thinking, well, I know my mom loves me because she's holding me. And she's told me this doctor guy is a good person. But he's getting ready to jab that needle in my arm. And that's going to hurt. Right? So there's this limited knowledge that the toddler has. Then beyond that, like they're not sure what it's all about. And I think that's where we are sometimes. But what we do know is what God has told us. That he is good that he loves us, and that he has actually suffered in order to help relieve some of our suffering and eventually all of our suffering. It's interesting, Taylor brought up the the idea of, you know, um, it's the blood of Jesus that fixes our problems. We, you know, have you thought about that? Like, if you're new to church or you've not been a part of singing hymns your whole life, and you come to church, and all of a sudden, we're talking about the blood washing away our sins. That seems kind of crazy, doesn't it? But it's blood comes from suffering. God has suffered for us. But let's take a quick look. So why does suffering even exist? God does give us um, at least a, a glimpse and a, a, a partial understanding, I think, that, that gives us enough information uh, to live a life uh, in which we can trust him. So to know the true answer to the question, why does suffering even exist, we have to go back to the beginning in the Garden of Eden where Adam and Eve chose to disobey God. So let's look real quick at Genesis two fifteen to 17. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And then goes on. Genesis 3, 5 says, So when the woman saw the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. So this sinful act of rebellion has had cosmic consequences. Adam and Eve would no longer live forever, but they would die and experience death. Sickness and disease would now enter into our bodies, into the human race, 
It broke Adam and Eve's relationship with God, with each other, with themselves, and with creation. The creation was also thrown into chaos with thorns and thistles growing up and even natural, natural disasters would now occur. So, basically, suffering is a result of the fall of man into sin. And we contribute to suffering because of our own sin. And we are without hope except by the mercy of God. You know, God will do many things with our suffering, which we don't have time to go into this morning. But we do know that he will not waste our suffering. He will not waste it. So the two questions I want us to answer this morning are these. How does God not waste our suffering? And then the second one, how do we not waste our suffering? How does God not waste our suffering and how do we not waste our suffering? So first of all, how does God not waste our suffering? Well, simply put, he enters into our suffering with us. It's like someone who is stuck at the bottom of a miry pit. And God sends his own son, Jesus, to come and sit in the mud at the bottom of the pit with us. God wasn't worried about getting dirty or muddy. He was willing to endure the pain and the suffering himself in order to help us in our suffering. Again, go back to the beginning of the Gospel of John, John 1.14. This is how the Apostle John opens up his Gospel about Jesus. And the Word, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glorious of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And that's an amazing thing that God sent Jesus to come and be among us. He wanted so badly for us to understand him on a very intimate relational level and to know what he was like that he sends his own son in the flesh to become a man, fully God, fully man, and to be with us. How do we know this? Well, a brief look at the landscape of the gospel shows us a few things. And so I want us to walk through this together. John eleven thirty six thirty five. 35. It's literally the shortest verse in the Bible. And I didn't, I was debating on whether even to put it up on the screen. But I want you to see it in black and white. Jesus wept. Now the, the context to this verse, leave, leave it up there for me, James. The context of this verse is that um, Jesus was very close to some of his disciples, right? Obviously. And uh, Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus were three of his disciples. Not the apostles, but they were three of the close friends that Jesus had. Well, Lazarus gets sick and he dies. And Jesus comes to the tomb of Lazarus. And if you know the story, you know what Jesus is going to do. And Jesus knows what he's going to do. But before he does anything... What does he do? He weeps. He cries at the tomb of Lazarus and it reveals to us 
the heart of Jesus, the heart of God, that he weeps over sin that causes death. It's not the way it's supposed to be. And so we get this sense of his character and how much he, he, he hates sin and death through his tears. Jesus wept at the tomb of Lazarus. How about Mark 1, 32 to 34? That evening at sundown, they brought to him, brought to Jesus, all who were sick or oppressed by demons. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. And he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. So what do we see here about Jesus and suffering? He heals it. It, He just doesn't let it go. He's not going to let it go. He's going to do something about it. And he heals these people of their sickness, both physical, mental, spiritual, whatever was going on, right? Jesus heals our suffering. That's what he does. He weeps over it. He heals it. How about John 14, 25 to 27? Again, these words come at the very end of Jesus' life. And he's speaking these very precious words to his disciples. He says, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give it to you. Let, your not, let, your, excuse me, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So what the disciples are getting ready to experience is some intense persecution and suffering. Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross. They're going to scatter. And what does he do? He comforts them in their suffering. He even gives them a head up, heads up. Jesus comforts us in our suffering. He brings peace to our lives that have become chaotic because of the pain. How about John eleven twenty five to twenty six? It's not there. Oh, shoot. All right. John eleven twenty five to 26. I can read it for us because I think uh, this is important f- for Jesus to give us hope in our time when we feel that there is no hope. John um, 11, 25 to 26 says this. Jesus said to her, Again, this is Jesus at the tomb with Lazarus, with Mary and Martha. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. So at the very tomb of Lazarus, Jesus comes in and he brings hope. He says, I am the resurrection. 
and the life. He gives us hope. How about Revelation 21.4? He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. This is going to happen when Jesus consummates all things, when he returns and he makes all things new. He will one day take away our suffering. He will one day take away all of our pain and suffering. That's the hope that we have. So how does God not waste our suffering? He enters into our suffering with us like we've just seen. But he also does something else, which I think is amazing and involves each one of you. He creates the body of Christ, which is the church, to help us in our suffering. This is one of the ways in which he chooses to, to not waste it. He, he's created the body of Christ, okay, which, which involves all believers. Because we're united to Jesus, then we're united to one another. So just as I'm united to Jesus and Jared is united to Jesus, that means we're united to the same Jesus. That means we're united together, Right? All of us as a church are together in this. You're not alone in your suffering is what we're to see. This is how Christ uh, has created his church. You're surrounded by people who love you and want to help you. People who want to relieve your suffering. Think about that. There are people who want to relieve your suffering. 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all, all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Leave it right there, James. God comforts us. We just talked about that. He doesn't waste our suffering. But why does he do that? In order that we may be able to comfort other people, those who are in affliction. And so we comfort other people with the same comfort that Christ has given us. People here in this room, they want to serve you. They want to pray with you. They want to encourage you and speak truth into your life and to help alleviate the suffering that you're going, to, going through. Or if, if it's not possible for them to necessarily alleviate it, as God does, they are there to walk through it with you. We are here to walk through it with one another. So that's at least two brief ways about how God doesn't waste our suffering. He enters into it with us and he creates the church, the body of Christ, to help us. So the next big question, though, is how do we not waste our suffering? How do we choose to engage with God and not waste our suffering? Well, it's 
basically the two answers I gave you before. So it's pretty easy to remember. We need to lean on the Lord in our suffering. He enters into our suffering with us, right? To be with us. And so our participation in this is to engage with what he has done. To engage with the Lord Jesus Christ who's come to be with us in our suffering. So now we get to participate and we get to lean on the Lord in our suffering. The the reality is that suffering can cause us to go to some very dark places. It can bring on depression and anxiety and despair. But this mainly happens, I think, when we choose to look at things other than Christ to relieve our suffering. When we look to, other, to, to things other than Christ to relieve our suffering, then it just makes it worse. We just spent weeks talking about idols that we have. And so what happens is we find our lives chaotic or hard or difficult or painful, and what do we do? We run to these these man-made idols. And instead of, of them offering us relief and help, they offer us more suffering. So we have to lean on the Lord in our suffering. God has other plans for your suffering, mainly that he would be glorified in and through it. I know that's hard for us to understand, but God will glorify himself through our suffering, mainly because God gets the glory when we rely upon him. So follow the logic, okay? God gets the glory when we rely upon him. He does not see us going to him and asking for help as a burden to take on our grief and suffering, like, oh my gosh, I can't believe you're coming to me again. With all your problems. Right? He doesn't, he, that's, that's not his attitude. He rejoices. He's actually, it, it, it glorifies God when we say, I can't do this myself. I need you to help me. I can't fix this myself. I need you to fix this for me. What's the first question you ask your child when they come home from school. How was your day? Right? Why? Why do you ask that question? It's because you want to know if they had a bad day. You want to know what caused it and then you want to know how you can be a part of helping them. You, you know, you're, you, you don't just say when your kid comes home and says, I had a bad day and say, ah, Don't burden me with that anymore. What kind of parent does that? None of us. We say, okay, tell me about it. And so we feel good that someone has come to us for help. And that's just a, a glimpse of God getting the glory when we go to him for help. Psalm 31, 7 says this. I will rejoice and be glad in your steadfast love because you have seen my affliction. You have known the distress of my soul. Isn't that a beautiful verse about how God sees us and that we can rejoice 
in knowing what God knows about us, I will rejoice and be glad in the steadfast love of the Lord because the Lord has seen my affliction. You have known the distress of my soul. He knows it. And so he wants us to cry out to him. Maybe you even need to shake your fist at God because you can't understand everything that's going on. And I'm here to tell you, as your pastor, it's okay to do that. Go ahead. You know why? Because God is bigger. He can handle it when we shake our fists and we say, what are you doing? I don't understand. He can take that. It's okay. It's re- that's real life, right? I mean, that's, that's how we feel. He wants us to, to share how we're feeling with him. And so let it out. God is there to, to take our burdens when we lean on him. And then, of course, how do we not waste our suffering leaning on the Lord, but then also we lean on the body of Christ that surrounds us? It's that simple. This is part of, the re- of, of how God chooses to relieve our suffering is by bringing his people into our lives to engage with. It's how God offers some relief to us. He puts people in our lives to do this for us. He's put a specific group of people into your life to help you through your suffering and pain. But what this takes from us is it takes humility to accept help from others. We're naturally prideful, self-sufficient people But that's not how God has designed life to be. God has not designed life to be self-sufficient. God has designed life to be lived in relationship with him and with his body. God has designed us to be dependent on him and his people. It's one of the reasons we have small groups around here. The Bible studies and community groups, when you're going through a struggle, those are the first responders. Those are going to be the first ones to hear your prayer request, to, 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 to see your suffering in person and up front. They're the ones that are going to come around you and help take care of you. It's also why you have a family around you, Right? You have like a physical family, a mom and dad and kids and brothers and sisters and cousins and everything around you. That's part of how God's designed. Like So when when one part of the family is suffering, we surround that person, right? It's beautiful. But you have to let people help you. Share your prayer requests with them. Allow them to come over and meet with you or to take you out for coffee or to help you out in any way. We were uh, living in Lancaster, I was on Young Life staff, living just above the poverty level, pretty much. And um, we, uh, so when you're living in that status, it's hard to make major repairs on your home, okay? And we desperately needed a new roof. Well, you know, sovereign hand of God, the missions committee at our church, uh, Westminster Prez, had extra money at the end of the year. They come to me and they say, hey, is there anything we can do to help you and your family out? I said, well, honestly, 
And, and it's, hard, it's hard to admit, right? I said, we need a new roof. I know that's a big asterisk. No problem. Done. And they took care of it. And it was a blessing. And it was part of God relieving that area of suffering for us. But we had to engage with it. We had to accept it. We had to humble ourselves and ask for help. Let me just close with this story uh, uh, from the Old Testament. It's, it's a broad stroke story, but uh, Neo, Nehemiah chapter 1 tells the story of how the Israelites come out of exile and began their new, to begin their new life again. So if you remember uh, your Old Testament history, after King David and his son, King Solomon, um, had these great reigns, Israel slowly but surely falls into um, the hands of some really bad kings. Decades and decades of idolatry, evil kings leading the people astray, and this led to decades of apostasy and idol worship and suffering. And eventually, after God had warned the people over and over again through his prophets that if they did not repent of their sins and turn back to him, then he would send them into exile. They would have to leave the land that he had given them. And so, as it happened, Assyria and Babylon attacked the Israelites from the north and the south and hauled them off to exile for 70 years. But the books of Nehemiah and Ezra tell about the return of the exiles to Jerusalem and to the promised land so they could resettle and start over again. And they had suffered for decades in exile. And now they were coming out of this period and into a time of spiritual renewal. And I love how Nehemiah, the first chapter, contains a prayer of confession and repentance along with the cry for help. Nehemiah knows the people are at the mercy of God in order to succeed at rebuilding the wall of Jerusalem and the temple and bringing the people back together in their unifying uh, time to worship the Lord as a nation. And, you know, I read that um, this, this past couple weeks and it just made me think about how I feel as though we've been dispersed in an exile for two years. You know? That, uh, and now we're, we're, but now we're returning and coming together as the body of Christ. You know, once a pandemic hit, some, some of us were able to stay connected, but some were just, I feel like, lost in the wilderness. And we had no idea what happened or where they went. And I think everyone suffered on some level. But as we continue to come back together and gather back together, let's make sure that we are relying on the Lord for all of our needs. As the suffering lingers, that we continue to to lean on the Lord for the relief that we so desperately need, but that also we look out for the needs of others as the body of Christ, that we come around each other. It's what the church does. We come together to worship the Lord 
and lean on him and come together to lean on one another. It's a beautiful picture of a beautiful life. And I want each and every one of you to experience it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you've not left us in the pit of our despair, but you have entered into that pit to be with us, to comfort us, and to relieve us, and ultimately to draw us out of that pit, to set our feet on the rock that is with Christ, and to find an abundant life, even in the midst of pain, sorrow, suffering. We can rejoice in our sufferings because we can lean on you and we can lean on one another, our brothers and sisters in Christ. So I pray, Lord, give us the courage to do that, the humility that takes so that we can experience the life that you have for us. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.